The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Thank you, guys, uh, Joel and Kelly. Um, not sure a better song that could lead us into this time. Um, so, again, good morning, Gospel City Church. My name is Chad Cavanaugh, and I'm one of the covenant partners here at GCC. And it's truly, truly a joy to be with you all this morning. Um, and it's a joy for at least two reasons. The first one is that today is the first time many of us have gathered for several months. And for me, it's actually only the third or fourth time I've ever gathered with GCC. Um, so it's great to see you live and in person and uh, see your faces and hear your voices. Um, I'm sure all of us feel that joy in a unique sense this morning. And of course, things are still not quite where we would all like them to be. Um, we have many brothers and sisters that are joining us online that uh, we long to be with. So um, they're still prevented from joining us for risks and restrictions related to COVID. So for those of you who are joining us online, please know that we love you and we miss you and we're ready to uh, be all together in one room again. Um, the second reason, obviously, this morning is a unique joy is that it's Easter Sunday. And on Easter, as we've discussed through song and through scripture already, uh, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even through some of those songs, I was reminded afresh of really what that means. I don't want it to get lost on me or on any of us that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, so just take a moment to even consider the implications that a dead body started breathing again. Um, and, the, and we'll talk more about the implications of that as we go on. But on Friday, two days ago, we gathered online to remember the crucifixion of Jesus. We remembered how Jesus died on a cross to pay the debt that we owed for our sin. But today, we gather to celebrate that he is no longer dead, but alive. We celebrate that the tomb is empty. So Easter is arguably the most uh, influential day in the entire year for, uh, for a follower of Christ. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. And if Christ had not raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So in other words, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is empty and our faith is foolish. If Christ has not raised from the dead, we are misrepresenting God, the creator of the universe. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are still in our sins. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we have no hope for eternal life. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, we should be pitied more than anyone else. Do you feel the weight of these statements? Our gospel, our trustworthiness, 
our salvation and our hope for eternal life hinge on the resurrection of Jesus. They hinge on Easter Sunday. Of course, we gather this morning because we believe Christ is indeed risen from the dead. So we'll spend the next several moments considering a few of the implications of Jesus' resurrection for our lives this morning. Before we do, um, join me in asking God to speak to us through his word. Father in heaven, we gather together this morning because Jesus is alive. We praise you for demonstrating your power and your authority over sin and death by raising your son, our Lord Jesus, from the dead. As we study Paul's letter to the church in Rome this morning, I ask that you help us grasp more deeply the glorious implications of the resurrection for our lives today. I ask this in the name of our risen Lord. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And while you do that, just a little background and context for this letter. Paul wrote this to the churches in Rome. And the churches in Rome were full of Jewish and Gentile background believers. And so there, was, there arose many conflicts between the Jewish background and Gentile background believers. And so Paul was writing to settle some of these disagreements. He wanted the church to be unified around the gospel's fundamentals. And so the emphasis of Paul's message, and I know many of you are studying uh, through Romans on uh, Tuesday nights, so some of this may even be review, but Paul's message in uh, Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5, the primary emphasis is on justification by grace through faith. In other words, Paul's wanting the church to understand that man may be reconciled to God by trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is a free gift from God, not a result of works. And as you can imagine, the Jewish background believers took exception to this. They were used to following a strict set of religious laws and practices that set them apart from all nations of the world. Now, Paul is telling them that none of these customs will save them. Again, imagine being a Jewish believer in this context. What questions would you have? Did Paul get the gospel wrong? If we're forgiven by grace through faith, won't the church continue sinning? How do we maintain the holiness, the set-apartness of God's gospel, of God's people? To address this issue, Paul writes these words in Romans chapter 6. So beginning in verse 1, he writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The goal of today's sermon is to communicate just one truth. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here it is. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can walk in newness of life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we can walk in newness of life. Let me show you where I'm getting that from. Look with me uh, again in chapter 6, verse 4. Paul writes this. We, Gospel City Church, church in Rome, believer, were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. These words are significant. The resurrection is more than just a mere historical fact, though it is that. The resurrection is not simply a theological doctrine, though it is that. Paul wanted the churches in Rome to understand the resurrection's implications on their lives. More specifically, Paul wanted believers in Rome and us today to see that the resurrection of Jesus changes us at the deepest level. In fact, he wants us to see that the resurrection not only changes our lives, but gives us a brand new life. Now, some of you may be wondering... Why do I need a new life? Or how, what does he mean by new life anyway? And these are all really good questions. So to understand a little bit more about what Paul means by newness of life, we're going to ask three questions this morning. The first one is this. How does the resurrection of Jesus give me a new life? The second one is how is this new life different from my old life? And the third one is, how do I walk in this new life? So the first question, how does the resurrection of Jesus give me a new life? This is a question of relevance. In other words, how does the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago relate to my life today? Or how does the bodily resurrection of Jesus give me a new life? Paul answers this question in verse 5. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Put simply, Paul's answer to our question is union with Christ. Look at the verse. He says it twice to be sure that we don't miss it. He says united in death and united in resurrection. Look back at our passage and, and notice with me all of the other union language that Paul uses to describe the relationship between Christ and the church. 
In verse 3, he says, you're baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death. Verse 4, buried therefore with him. Verse 5, we have been united with him. Verse 6, crucified with him. Verse 8, we have died with Christ and we will also live with him. This isn't just in Romans chapter 6. We see this type of union language all throughout the New Testament. Here's just a few other examples. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. Ephesians 2.6, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. This group of believers that Paul's writing to, and us today, were not physically crucified with Jesus. What I mean is that we were not physically hung on a cross, buried, and resurrected as Jesus was. So what does Paul mean? Here's what Paul is saying. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are united with him. We become one with him. We die to our old life and we gain his new life. We are no longer our own, but Christ's. The language Paul uses is vivid. He discusses the believer in Christ as one person, not two. He's not saying Christ died, was buried, and resurrected, so you receive this, this, and this. No, he's saying if when Christ died, you also died. And when Christ was buried, you also were buried. And when Christ was raised to life, you also were raised to life. Through faith in Christ, we become one with him. Therefore, whatever Christ is, we are. Whatever Christ has done, we have done. Isn't that incredible news? Oftentimes, we can think of the gospel, or at least I can think of the gospel, in terms of cost and benefit. And so here's what I mean by that. The cost, Jesus lived, died, and resurrected. The benefit, I am declared righteous in God's sight. The cost, Jesus lived, died, and resurrected. The benefit, I am being conformed into the image of his son. The cost, Jesus lived, died, and resurrected. The benefit, I receive eternal life. And I want to make sure you hear me clearly that all of these are beautiful and glorious realities for each of us who are in Christ. However, Paul wants, to see, uh, wants us to see more than just the benefits of the gospel. He wants us to see our union, our oneness with the resurrected Lord. So let's answer the question directly. How does the resurrection of Jesus Give me new life. The resurrection of Jesus provides new life because through faith we are united with Jesus, both in his death and his resurrection. The second question is how is this new life different from my old life? So, this is a question of distinction. So, how is this new life, the one that's united with Christ, any different from the life that I used to live? And the Bible speaks of many, many ways that our old lives apart from Christ are different from our new lives in Christ. 
But for the sake of time, we'll just focus on one specific way that's found in our text. And here it is. Our new lives in Christ are free from the power of sin and death. Our new lives in Christ are free from the power of sin and death. So look back with me at Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. And listen carefully to all of the language that's describing slavery and authority and dominion. So Romans 6, 6 through 11 says this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So look at the description that Paul uses of the life in Christ. In verse 6, no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7, set free from sin. Verse 9, talking about Jesus, death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in order to grasp the distinction between new life in Christ, it may be helpful to consider the realities of our old lives apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, Paul says that we are enslaved to sin. Sin is our master and our authority. We have no power over it. It dominates us. It defeats us. Wherever sin says go, we go. Whatever sin says do, we do. In Christ, however, we are set free from the mastery and the authority of sin in our lives. Because Christ rose from the grave and defeated sin and death, we no longer have to serve sin's demands. We no longer live under its authority or dominion. Now that we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we can say no to sin. We can choose righteousness. And this is incredible news for us this morning because the resurrection of Jesus has defeated sin and death. He conquered it once and for all by rising from the dead. If we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we are free from its power in our lives. If you're like me, you most often think of the gospel in terms of justification and glorification. And those are big words that basically mean justification is we are saved from the past penalty of our sin. So through Jesus' death on the cross, we can be justified. He paid for our sin in the past. Or glorification, that one day we will be free from the presence of sin in our lives. So when we're, after we die and we're with the Lord, there will be no longer consequences or temptations to sin. However, Paul wants us to see here that the resurrection of Jesus frees us from the power of sin in the present. Yes, we are free from sin's penalty in the past. Yes, we will be free from sin's presence in the future. These are glorious realities, but brothers and, sisters, brothers and sisters, there's more. Because Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, we are free from sin's power 
sin's authority, sin's rule, and sin's dominion in our lives today. Here's what this means. We don't have to succumb to our lustful desires. We don't have to join the gossip of our offices. We don't have to act in impatience and anger towards our families. For those of us in Christ, we possess the power to choose righteousness over sin. So, how is this new life in Christ different from our old lives apart from Christ? New life in Christ is free from the power of sin and death. The third question we'll look at and the final question is, how do I walk in this new life today? This is a question of application. Up until this point, we've seen that through faith, we're united with Christ, both in his death and in his resurrection. And because our lives are one with Christ, we are free from the power of sin and death. But Paul does not leave it there. He goes on to give a command. Look with me at Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. It says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Listen again to the command words that Paul uses here. In verse 12, he says, let not sin reign. Verse 13, he says, do not present. And later, he goes on to say positively, present. So based on Paul's commands, we know that union with Christ and freedom from the power of sin and death does not mean sinless perfection. If the church were sinless, Paul would have no need to give his commands. So it is clear that, the followers, that followers of Christ, believers in the resurrection, will still have the opportunity to sin. But if we're not careful here, we may leave with a moralistic application to these verses. You may be tempted to read these verses as a list of things to do or not do. And as you do, you may begin to feel the weight of justification by works rather than by faith. But Paul is not saying you're united with Christ, you're free from the power of sin and death, so go live to the best of your ability. Go wrestle sin under your own authority, under your own power, but be sure not to mess up because remember, Christ paid for your sins. I want to urge you that this is not what Paul's saying. Notice the order of explanation in the chapter. Paul has spent the first 11 verses in Romans chapter 6 articulating the glorious realities of union with Christ and with freedom from the power of sin and death. There were not any commands given, just descriptions. Now, at the end of these descriptions, he gives commands. So what's the takeaway? We live in between the already and the not yet. As Christians, there are countless realities that are already ours in Christ, but not yet fully realized. In one sense, we are free from the power of sin and death. Yet, this reality is not yet fully realized. We still, feel, we still face temptations to sin. We will still experience the consequences of sin. 
And in fact, we will still choose to sin. Paul is commanding the believers in Rome and us today to live in the reality of this new life. He is saying, you are united with Christ. He is saying, you are free from the power of sin and death. Now, live according to these realities. Let these realities empower your living. When we place our faith in Christ, we are given a new life. We are given new desires, new hopes, new pleasures, new affections. He changes us from the inside out. We become people that long for righteousness more than sin. But most often, this change does not occur overnight, and it does not happen all at once. It occurs slowly and steadily through subtle, through the subtle, miraculous work of God in our hearts. Yes, we already have new life in Christ, yet it is not yet fully realized. We must walk out these realities in our daily lives. What does this look like? Think back to the beginning of the service when Cornelius and Denise shared their testimonies. Cornelius shared how, he had begun to cha- how God had begun to change a judgmental heart into one of kindness and love. Or Denise, we heard that how God has freed her from the bitterness, anger, and jealousy harbored towards a family member. Brothers and sisters, this is what this is all about. As we present ourselves to God each day in prayer, in scripture, in the community of the church, God slowly begins to do a work in our hearts, enabling us and empowering us and changing us to live out the realities of our unity with him. Verse 14 is crucial in this. Look back at verse 14 in Romans chapter 6. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you will mess up. I will mess up. Abby knows I mess up. Andy knows I mess up. Um, The process of sanctification will be slower than you would like. It's slower than I would like. But listen carefully and meditate on the realities of God's words to us in this morning. You are united with Christ. You are free from the power of sin and death. These are already true of you. Now, let it change you. And let it empower the way you live in light of these realities. If you're not a Christian, first, just want to thank you for joining us this morning. And I also want to urge you and plead with you to trust in Christ this morning. Apart from Christ, the scriptures say that you are dead in your sins. That you have no authority and no power over sin. You will follow sin's demand whenever and wherever it says to go. Let me warn you that the Bible says that this life leads to eternal death if you follow the path of sin and the demands of sin. It leads to eternal separation from God, the author of life. But there is good news. The free gift of salvation is available to you this morning for those who have not yet trusted in Christ. I want to invite you to trust in his life, death, and resurrection this morning. Through faith, you can be united with him. This means that whatever he is, you are. Whatever he has done, you have done. Since he rose from the grave, you too can have new life. 
you can be freed from the power of sin and death. You can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. And this path, the path of righteousness, leads to eternal life. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you can have new life. So as I close in prayer, just welcome uh, back up Kelly and Joel to lead us um, in song. So if you'll bow your heads with me, we can pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for the truth that's in it, that because Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead, we can have new life. We thank you for the way that you're at work in each one of us, individually and corporately, to help us live uh, more aligned with these realities. Uh, Father, I pray that you convict us and, and show us even now of ways that we can walk this out in our homes, in our workplaces, um, and everywhere else that we go. I pray that uh, we would worship afresh, even in this next song, remembering that we are no longer under the slavery and dominion and authority of sin, but have been set free because of your resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.